Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Mentor2020 shares his path to working in investment banking, even though he was super late to start recruiting, waiting until his junior year before trying to land a summer internship. How he was able to survive layoffs at his first bank by lateraling to another, and why he eventually jumped over to an internal strategy role at a bulge bracket investment bank. Listen to hear the one piece of advice he'd give his younger self. I think we all need to remember um, a reminder like this every once in a while. All right, Mentor 2020, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Thanks for having me. It'd be great if you could just give the listeners a quick summary of your bio. Sure. So uh, I went to a uh, Target business school, undergrad business school, uh, graduated in 2012. And the reason why I kind of went to a business school is because like, I knew I wanted to do something in business. Uh, and I think one of my inspirations was this guy named Muhammad Yunus. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's uh, this pioneer of microfinance in India, and uh, he won a Nobel Peace Prize for that. And so, you know, he really inspired me to like really, you know, see that, there, that you can do a lot of good uh, through through business. And so that's why I kind of went that route. And when I remember uh, my my dad was asking around, you know, his his uh, people that he would drive around in the back who were like, you know, Wall Street bankers and whatnot. And he was just asking them, what's the best school for business? And that's when he found out, you know, uh, yeah. that these are the list of schools. So that's why I applied to one of them. Great. Okay. Then what happened? And then um, uh, I was just trying to figure out, you know, my where in the world, you know, just figuring out in this vast uh, world of business, there's so many things that you can do in there. Like, what should I do? Right. And, you know, I just talked to a bunch of people and, you know, there was this person who was like uh, my quote unquote sponsor. He's like, he paid for my tuition more or less. And he told me like, Hey, you know, I was in your shoes like 20 years ago. Um, you know, like what I did right out of college, if you don't know what you want to do is do investment banking. And so that's kind of why I chose investment banking. Okay. Um, and then how, so, yeah, walk me through that, like what, what your career was like there. And, you know, don't go into the details, but then did you just stay in banking or let the listeners know kind of how you, how you progressed? Yeah. So, you know, taking my, my sponsor's advice, I went to investment banking. Um, you know, I started kind of late in the process, to be honest. I kind of, you know, didn't really know until like I spoke to him, which was already like junior year. 
and so I didn't really have much prepared. I didn't really like, you know, get all my technicals down or all that. So like I was, I was starting from the back. So, mm-hmm. you know, try to brush up as much as I could. And then, you know, got, got two offers. One was in, you know, uh, not New York and one was in New York. And so I decided, you know what, I want to stay closer to, to uh, you know, the center of finance and went, went for the New York offer. Great. And so then you were there and then keep going and then you eventually trained. Yeah. So I was there. Uh, it's a mid-sized firm, I would say. Uh, and then, but then there were some kind of uh, special situations going on with that firm. And so that's okay. why I left uh, and then went to a boutique mm-hmm. uh, investment bank, did it for two years. And it was really during that time where, where I kind of started reflecting on like, you know, really what I want to do during that, during that, during that two years you know, and really looking at the life that my uh, directors and MDs were having and just asking myself, is this kind of the life I wanted, you know? Um, and really, like, the way I say my life is really in three buckets. So one is wealth, the other, one, the other one's health, uh, and the other one's relationships. Mm-hmm. So I, I, see, I see them all as, like, three different, like, like glass balls, you know, that I'm trying to juggle, mm-hmm. right? And if I drop one of them, you know, it'll shatter. And so um, I was kind of feeling like I, I was, you know, uh, having the wealth, quote unquote, the wealth piece kind of down, at least the track was kind of there. But then my other two glass balls were starting to wobble quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so I realized like I wanted a little bit more of a balance and being able to juggle all three of those balls, so mm-hmm. to speak. And so that's why I started looking for different types of roles that allowed me to juggle all three of those. Okay. And so you ended up, uh, where? So I ended up doing strategy instead. Strategy. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, was looking around at different roles. And when I spoke to uh, a few folks that were doing strategy related roles, uh, it really kind of appealed to, you know, what I was looking for. Cause, uh, like in terms of the work, it was, I think, uh, more of a long-term oriented kind of role instead of uh, the way I see like investment banking, like, yes, obviously like you try to build long-term relationship with your clients and try to have repeat business. But the way I kind of see, see is that it's very transaction oriented. You're just trying to get your fee and then move on to the next transaction. While I think for strategy, you know, you a lot of the projects are like a year or two long, a two years, uh, you know, long process. And so you really have to like, be really deep into the weeds and really understand that particular business. And then you don't really see the fruits of your labors until like, you know, years later. And so, you know, in this strategy, are you comfortable sharing like what specific part of the strategy it is or, or the fact that it's a larger firm? Yeah, it's, it's a wealth manager strategy, part of a, you know, one of the big wirehouses. Great. Okay. So let's start back. Thank, thanks for that. Can, can we start now back and go, let's rewind and go back to undergrad. A little okay. Bit. So we got that kind of uh, broad overview, that quick overview. So you're, you're at a, a top undergrad B school and almost all your peers probably knew they wanted to do investment banking since birth or a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're, you're coming through here and you're, you know, what is it, your junior year? And you're thinking, oh, now I want to do investment banking because somebody mentioned it to you as your mentor. Did you feel like this is impossible or did you feel like you were still just because you had the name of a strong, uh, strong school that you could 
kind of get in. I mean, it obviously worked out for you. You got two offers, but tell me a little bit about that process of why do you think you were so late to, to kind of warm up to investment banking or was it something that you were kind of just weren't sure where else to go? It sounds like. So I think partly I, my background is a little bit different from, I would say the average student body is at, at my school. Um, I would definitely say um, most of the average students at, at my school were more of a upper middle class uh, background. Um, I more grew up in a working class. So, you know, investment banking was something I, no one ever heard of in my family. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, you mentioned you had so, a sponsor. Tell me about that. Was it, what do you mean by that? Like you, you weren't paying most, your family wasn't paying most of the tuition Were you at like yeah, so, aid or was it more like a scholarship? Uh, it's a, it's a combination of both. So it's not merit because it's more of a need-based scholarship. Okay. And so usually they would pair you up with a sponsor who would sponsor multiple students uh, who are need-based. Got it. Okay. And so you had this sponsor who was paying for most, if not all of your tuition. Tell me how, so, and this person is, he kind of guided you or he, he kind of. Yeah. So I. I just like would see him once a year really. Um, and during that, you know, time that I, uh, you know, ever see him, I would just ask him for advice, you know? And I remember the first two times I was supposed to meet him, he didn't show up because yep. very busy guy yeah. uh, high up in the finance world. And so it wasn't really until junior year that I really met him for the first time. And so I was like, you know what, this guy, you know, obviously it's very successful. He knows a lot of things. So, Mm-hmm. I only ask him for advice. And so, and that's what he gave me. You know. He basically said, if you're not really sure what to do, banking is kind of a great place to start. Exactly. So you, after that meeting, immediately started prepping for investment banking. Did you have a plan before that in terms of what you wanted to do after graduating? I mean, I had kind of uh, an idea that I wanted to do maybe corporate um, mm-hmm. lawyer. Um, yep. because I, I kind of, I majored in both finance and legal studies yep. at the time, but I was still not, I'm sure if I wanted to go that route. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was still like talking to folks and really understanding like what that entails going in the corporate, uh, finance or the corporate law side. Okay. And, um, I realized that I liked learning about, uh, law, but I don't necessarily think I like the lifestyle per se of uh, becoming a corporate lawyer. Well, the lifestyle of a corporate lawyer is probably pretty similar to that of an investment bank. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like you chose an easy path, uh, you know, secondary path with this, this advice from this, this really what was a sounds like a mentor. Your sponsor was really a mentor to you, even though you only met him once, it kind of, he pushed you and made a big difference in your life in terms of just giving that suggestion. So did, yeah. do you feel like, it's just so interesting that happens so much. When I talk to all the guests, it's so frequent that one conversation kind of changes your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that I look back, it makes, yeah, quite, yeah. quite profound, I guess. It's dramatic. Yeah. And so you, you kind of switched gears. You said, okay, I'm going to get into this race of investment banking recruiting. And did you feel like lost, like you had no chance because it was late and people had already done summer internships. So it was in your junior year, which I assume people had already recruited for their junior summer. Yeah, so I did feel a little bit behind for sure. Um, but then, and also it didn't help that I remember distinctly, like 
that year, all the kind of bulge brackets and top firms were saying like, oh, we don't, we're not going to hire anyone more, anyone else beyond our summer class. Right. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is going to be tougher than I expected. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I didn't like live, I, I set my expectations so that I didn't like just lock myself to only New York at, at like a top fun. I was like open to just get my foot in the door. That's kind of got it. So you applied, I, like, it. you applied to a lot of different places. You ended up getting some interviews. Tell me about those first few interviews. Did you, did you get like, so how were you applying? Was it all through still on campus drops? Was it, um, you know, because obviously your school gets a lot of companies visiting because there's a lot of top students there. Tell me, was it just, uh, were most of your interviews through that process? Yeah, it was mostly through on-campus recruiting. And what would you say your hit rate was given that, you know, you didn't have that track record of, you know, chasing banking since you were a freshman? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was quite low, I would say. Maybe like, I don't know, if I had to make, it's been a while, but I think like if I say like maybe... Of a hundred drops, I would get like maybe like eight. I would say that was eight interviews. actually like like eight that were like. Did yeah, you were interview. you were able to drop a hundred times to different jobs? Well, again, it's not just on campus. I also like right. Also include like LinkedIn or any okay. other job posting sites. Fair. Was your GPA decent, or was it was it lower than you know some of your competition? Uh, I would say. My perception was that my, mine was a little like lower, but mm-hmm. really, I think I was just average. Okay, more or less. Cool. That's just giving some context for the listeners. So you're uh-huh. you're basically applying. You're you're getting an occasional interview. Tell me a little bit about you know the the progression, like your first few interviews and how you improved. If or did, were were you already ready, kind of going in? <laughs> the first few were just bad. I remember, like like even though like I, you know, read through the the uh, guidebooks and just like practice it still is different you know doing it the first time in front of a person and you're just nervous as hell you know um and it was you know i just bombed like at least the first two or three and and like just learn from each one and just remember like to tell myself to breathe and just like you know these are the questions that i didn't get right or i have difficulty and just like you know go back to the drawing board and just like re- redo it and just like repeat it and just rehearse over and over again did you feel like the technicals or the behaviorals were harder for you uh i think in the beginning it was both so yeah it's hard for me to say like uh both a little bit one was was yeah a little bit of both okay yeah. that's fair so you kind of get through this your your the first few interviews are pretty painful but then you start getting a little bit better you start rehearsing you start grilling more are you doing this with friends or you, do you have a mentor that you can kind of um do you mock interviews with, or, or is it just mostly? Fun? Yeah, I had I had roommates that mm-hmm. uh, you know were willing to do some mock interviews graciously. Okay, cool. So you did a few with them, got a little more polished, and then tell me about like the you started kind of was it later in the process the the offer you ended up getting in terms of? Um, yeah, it wasn't until like um, I think April, yeah, April of junior year that I got an offer for a summer internship. Right, that, that that summer. Uh, yes. So yeah, that's in today's timelines, that's super late, but so you, (laughs) you luckily got something though. So that's great. So was the idea that this, this summer internship would lead to a full-time offer? Is that standard? Was that standard at that bank? That's slightly smaller, but it it wasn't a bulge bracket bank, but you know, um, was it, was it standard that they typically give a lot of offers? 
true. No, it was not standard. They, they were just, like I said, it was just for me to get in the door. And so, yeah. no, I, no, I, I don't, I don't blame you for doing it. I'm just curious. So at the end of that summer, what was the, what was the offer rate for that firm? Like there was no offers for anybody. No offers. Okay. Yeah. You knew that going in. Um, I knew that going in. Yeah. But you now had, some, you at least now had a fighting chance going into your senior year. Exactly. That's how I thought about it. Okay, cool. And so tell me about that, your thought process of, you know, while you're working there over the summer, knowing that you're probably not going to get a full-time offer, what were you doing over the summer besides just working long hours? <laughs> Was that it? <laughs> surviving? Uh, yeah, just surviving. Again, the way I, I set my expectations. So like I knew going in that it's going to be tough for me for someone who didn't leave, live or breathe this, you know, from the beginning, like mm-hmm. a lot of my, uh, co- you know, classmates were, uh, they knew, you know, uh, a lot of this before I did. So I just had a lot to catch up on. And so even after work, I would just like try my best to just read up as much as I could and just like learn about the industry and just, you know, just hone the skills that they, that they needed. Got it. And so just prepare for, for full time, you know, for just, senior year recruiting. You're basically like practicing financial modeling. You're reading up on whatever you can inter- even interview courses. I assume you're still practicing your interviews or no. Yes, I, I was still like, because there. I remember the guidebook I was looking at. There was both the more basic and there's the advanced stuff, and so I focused more on the basic stuff in the beginning, just to like get it all down, just to you yeah, know the, the be WSO, good enough, right? The WSO course we we break it into basic, intermediate, advanced. Yeah, you have to exactly. get, you have to know the basics. <laughs> exactly. So I just got the basic down pat before I even like progress to the next one. Got just it. be enough to like get my foot in the door. And okay. Then once I got my foot in the door, it just then work on the more advanced stuff. Do you feel like, okay, well, I'll, we'll go there later. So you basically started, you, you kind of took this internship. So the end of the summer comes along, there's no offers given. When do you start kind of doing your reach out or your networking or your resume drops? As soon as you get back on campus or during the summer or once you finished? Uh, I think I started a little bit right after I was done with my um, mm-hmm. internship because the internship ended around like, early August. And so yeah. I had like, it's interesting because a lot of the bulge brackets, like you said, would not even take They won't, even though you went to a target school, they had already kind of had their internship class filled. They're hiring almost everybody from the internship class to fill their FT, their full-time class. So what's, what's your game plan? Or is it just kind of like, Hey, I'm just going to spray my resume everywhere and pray. <laughs> uh, it was kind of that. And also like, uh, because I knew Nesta, now that I have an internship, you know, mm-hmm. under my belt, it should be a little bit easier to, to get some looks. Yep. Um, and so, and also now that I've already, you know, honed the, the basics and, and know a little bit more of the advanced, mm-hmm. it should be easier this time. Right. Granted, mm-hmm. yes, there was the, the, you know, the secular problems with the bullish brackets at the time, but, mm-hmm. um, you so know, did you get, or, did you get interviews at like middle markets? Thanks and stuff like that still. Yeah. And so that's where I, I started to go from getting, you know, originally from my junior year, just small banks to now more regional size banks. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, so tell me, you, you ended up um, getting an offer at a well-respected firm. And um, was that surprising or did you feel like you, you were much better at the interviews by this time around? Uh, I don't think it was surprising given I think the work I put into it. So, okay. uh, you know, you get, you, you, you get what you uh, work for. Right. 
Got it. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you need a little, a little luck too. So, so you're starting there. What's it like when you kind of, was it, is it everything you expected and more? <laughs> uh, yes, it was definitely uh, more than what I expected. I mean, I hear stories from, from folks who were older than me and, and gone through that path. Yeah. And uh, you know, I definitely knew more or less what to expect that, but there's definitely like, things that you just you never really uh believe it until you see it with your own eyes so to speak you know yeah you don't know how painful the sleep deprivation is until you actually go through it yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> like it's easier said than done so yeah way. so so you're kind of at this new firm you're obviously going through training or you're working long hours what would you say is your average so you know this first firm you're at you were there for a little over a year Tell me a little bit about what your average work week was looking like. Is it 70 hours, 80 hours, 90? What, what would you say? Or was it uh, I would say. Hmm. Obviously it ranged. It was maybe, it was maybe like a, it, it ranges obviously depending on the season, yeah. but it's, it's, I would say, you know, 65. Okay. So to 70 hours. So it's not like the worst on the street, but yep. it's definitely like, not like 50 hours for sure. Got it. Okay. So, um, do you, you know you're working long hours you're you're basically um going through here why why such a short stint at the first well it wasn't too short but you know a little over a year what what made you kind of start looking um to lateral because you lateral uh, to a boutique bank correct yeah so for this middle market firm there was some uh special situations going on with them okay. at the time uh where they were being acquired so to speak and so okay there was a lot of uh let's say layoffs across the board mm -hmm. uh, from MD all the way down. And so morale was very low and just people did not want to be there. And so and I was you, like, were you told that like, Hey, your job may not be here um, when they come. And so that's why you started looking or was it more like, Hey, the morale is really low. So I should start looking. So when I first started looking the morale, the, I start it was because of morale, but then midway through that was when I was, you know, put on notice. So to speak. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, now I really gotta like push myself to look for something. And how much time did they give you? To, to uh, gave me two, two to three months, if I remember correctly. Okay. So not not bad. It wasn't like they kicked you out that day. No, 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 no. Um, so you started looking for other investment banking analyst jobs. So it's tough because you're, you know, a year into your a year of graduating, you're working long hours. you you I assume you were doing okay. Did the reviews were okay? The bonus was mediocre but you know something right yeah it was okay yeah you know relative to my to my class okay and so you all of a sudden are back in the market how are you going about your search right now so this time yeah. i definitely wasn't as spread spread out geographically i definitely wanted to stay in new york mm -hmm. um, and so i focused more on new york firms i wasn't quite picky per se about the size of the firm. Um, I, but I felt like one of the problems I, I, I was frustrated with that I'm in middle, middle market firm was that there was so much hierarchy in between. Yeah. Like I reported to an associate, that associate reported to a VP, VP to a director, director to MD. It was just so hierarchical. Mm -hmm. And there were just a lot of times where like, I felt like, you know, people in the middle between MD and analysts, like there was just a lot of, quote unquote value add. And then later on you find out that 
DMD didn't want any of that. And so I was kind of frustrated with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to, to work more directly with an MD and okay. do more associate type work and be more in the room when, when there's quiet meetings and all that. So that's why I, I was more biased towards like boutique firms mm-hmm. uh, to get that kind of experience. Okay. So you started interviewing and tell me uh, that experience. Was it, was it hard? Were they still as a lateral, were they still pushing you on like technicals and asking you, you know, I, I guess you had a good story as to why you were leaving. I mean, it was pretty, pretty obvious stuff was going down at the other firm. So um, yeah, that's an easy story to I bet that's believable, but tell me like how, how is that process? Yeah. So the process compared to like my junior year or my senior year was definitely, I would say easier because when I already had one year of, of analyst experience, so it's not like I'm fresh out of college with absolutely no experience. And, right. you know, I've already had, you know, a few deals under my, my belt, my belt. So, mm-hmm. you know, they were looking for someone more experienced. And so, uh, there was a few firms that, you know, were more open to, to laterals like me. Okay. And, and so, there was definitely obviously technical, there was tasks, all that, you know, but tell me what the test, what, point, was the, what was the test like? It was just like, you know, like a modeling test, you know, where, uh, you know, it depends on the firm. Some firms did it on a piece of paper. Some did it on, on a computer, um, you know, and it's like a mixture of like, uh, of that kind of technical questions plus, you know, face to face kind of, you know, technical questions like, you know, tell me what's the DCF, you know, what's the, you know, waste of value of company, all that stuff. The, right? the modeling tests where they would lock you in the room, whatever, and give you a spreadsheet, was it like prompts, like almost like an LBO modeling test? Or was it prompts of like a, you're building a three statement model, like a very simple yeah, it, model and M&A, you're doing like an M&A transaction and rolling them up? Yeah, it would be, uh, some firms gave me the, you know, simple three statement model and some did like an LBO mm-hmm. uh, type of test. So it kind of varies. It varied. Okay. There wasn't like any one type of thing, but I'm curious because I haven't heard too many modeling tests for like analysts. So that's interesting to me. Um, I hadn't heard of that. I know, definitely for private equity on the LBO, um, LBO side, but okay. So you're, you're anyways, you're at this boutique for a couple years or a little under two years. So you're now kind of three years into your and almost three years into your analyst tenure as an mm-hmm. investment banking analyst. And tell me why, um, when did you start thinking, Hey, this isn't for me. I, you had mentioned a little bit in your intro, um, that you were looking at your, your senior kind of colleagues and saying, I'm not sure this is for me. Um, who did you talk to? What, what kind of guided you towards strategy, um, and uh, strategy at a, at a large, large firm? Yeah. So as I alluded to just the, you know, go a little bit deeper onto, mm-hmm. you know, what I meant by just looking at my directors and MDs or really just my MDs. Um, yeah like their lifestyle. So more or less from what I observed, even though, yes, they're out of the office by like five or six, but a lot of times after work, they're really still working, you know, going to client meetings, going to conferences and all that. So like, it's still really like long hours that they're putting in, you know, it's not like a cakewalk once you're hit MD, you know? Right. And so like, uh, that's, that's one thing that, that I had, I guess, maybe a mis- misconception about that part of it. You know, once you hit more senior level, that would get easier. But no, it, it would just be different. It's more of a salesman type job. Right. And so when I look at my personality and just thinking about, is this, is my personality a fit for more of a salesman type of role? Yeah. That's when I realized, like, mm, this may not be for me because I, 
don't particularly, I, I, I would say I'm more of an introvert. Mm-hmm. And so it would be a little bit hard for me to be in an environment where I always am surrounded by folks, you know, and I have to like be always be energized to speak to people and just be like pumped up. I'm just not yeah, that's that not kind of person, you know. I You're just, relaxed. You're relaxed like me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that kind of person that feed energy off of other people. I like to be alone sometimes, you know. And so, Got it. Okay. So what, yeah. what brought you to, how did you start, you know, in thinking of this, okay, this isn't long-term, this isn't for me. How did you start kind of doing the whole career exploration? Obviously you were on Wall Street Oasis all day, every day. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, but like what, seriously, what, what kind of guided you toward that? Like you, so you talked a little bit about your personality, but is strategy a good kind of match for somebody that's a little more introverted, you think? Um, I think relatively speaking to a salesman type job strategy is more of a obviously there's there's still like you have to you know talk with management folks and still like you know deal with clients network deal with like clients if you're working with an external type of consulting type of job Mm -hmm. uh but what i work what i ended up going to is more of internal consulting so it's less isn't definitely not client facing but you know your clients are more management um executives so to speak so it's it's less salesy uh, from what I see. It's it's more just like how do you steer the ship in the right direction? So know? it's not your your PowerPoint skills aren't. There's not a premium placed on PowerPoint skills. Whereas like if you're in management consulting doing strategy, you better make it look really pretty for the client. <laughs> I mean, I would say there's there's still there's still you still need to prettify your your your, your slides because mm-hmm. a lot of my colleagues are come from uh, management consulting backgrounds and so. Yep. They, they definitely you don't want to make yours look ugly in their head. exactly yeah. i don't want to be the, the the black sheep so to speak you know <laughs> fair okay so you're but that's interesting tell me a little bit more what's the difference between like an internal consulting role like you have in this so you're doing strategy and you're in a specific division let's say uh, wealth management um at a large bank what's the like what's the difference between that and then going to like a mckinsey or bain bcg do you have a, a, an opinion of what's different or do you have enough like having a uh, kind of friends in, in both where you kind of have an educated viewpoint on that? Yeah. So I personally, you know, never been, you know, in a management consulting firm like Bain BCG, but mm-hmm. uh, my, my direct manager uh, used to work at a, you know, one of those uh, top three consulting yep. firms. Mm-hmm. And so he, you know, shares stories about his experience and I also have friends that are also from, from those firms as well. And so, it sounds to me that the difference once you're hitting more of a senior level is you definitely have to be more of a sales oriented type of kind of relationship building type of role once you're at a senior, senior management levels. So similar to Uh, banking, similar to banking. So yeah, it sounded very similar to banking to me, you know? And Mm -hmm. so again, going back to what I said about my personality, it just, it didn't sound like an appealing thing for me. And so, but when I hear about, internal strategy uh it sounded a lot less salesy once you hit senior management and i think that's partly why also my direct manager decided to go from um kind of one of the top three you know consulting firms to more of an internal strategy role as well now i can totally see that where internally you're not kind of put on the spot with clients as much so you're not expect it's not all about like whining and dining these clients and making them like you as a person it's more kind of like 
okay, what's the actual value you're bringing strategically internally? But don't you feel like there's a lot of like politics that still go on internally that you need to be good, like that, that make it hard for an introvert to like get promoted and all that stuff. Don't you feel like that's still the case? That is definitely still the case, especially at a large wirehouse firm. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, egos, so to speak. And so, you know, some people have, you know, perceived conceptions about, you know, how to run a business. And, you know, even if you show show the data that proves that this should be the way we should run the business, they still hold on to their beliefs. And so, you know, there's definitely politics. Yeah. And I think that's probably tough for, for introverts, right? To navigate. It's kind of the way I see it is like, you know, which are the lesser of two evils kind of thing in my head, you know, and like if I have to choose, <laughs> well, you're, you're you know, always going to have to deal with politics no matter where you are. Right. Exactly. But at that's least you don't have to deal with the clients too. <laughs> exactly. That's how I see it. You know? Okay. That's fair. I was just, I was just curious because you know, it's, it's funny to me because part of me thinks, do you put as a young person, if you feel like you're an introvert, do you take a path that's a little bit less, that's a little more comfortable for you? Um, or do you push yourself to become more of that salesperson? Do you work on your uh, presentation skills? You do work on your fear of, you know, presenting in front of the others in, in that public speaking and try to become more exuberant. Maybe people feel like, well, if it's not you, it's not you. And I get it. Um, but I think some of those skills are just so important for long-term career success that um, sometimes a little discomfort is good for growth. No, they're going to be wrong. I definitely am a big proponent of like pushing, you know, past yeah. your comfort zone mm-hmm. and definitely I'm, I'm not uh, I think just to be clear when I define as an introvert so mm-hmm. I don't mean someone who's antisocial you know right and like you know you could be an introvert you know in a room full of people and still be the life of the party but then after the party ends you don't want to be with more people after that you know <laughs> you just want to be you know maybe Relaxing. you know reading reading a book and just like you know watching YouTube videos or just being having your own me time you know But like the way I kind of see a sales role is that you're always kind of on just like talking to folks like, you know, the majority of your day, which to me is just a little bit too excessive. You know, like I don't mind like, like being in a room full of people like in, in like, you know, small enough doses for me just Mm -hmm. to like still be like social, like get to know folks and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still like, I get it be friends, you know, but like beyond that, it just becomes overwhelming for me. Got it. So you've been there for now in the strategy, um, in the strategy kind of uh, role for a good for almost five years, no, over five years now. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of the, the path for like an internal strategy position and like, are these, are, is the group pretty small, even a large firm? And like, what's the, what's the career trajectory for somebody like that wants to go in this? Is this like a lifetime career where you can work within one wirehouse within one large bank um, in strategy for like a 20 year career? Or is it something where um, this leads to some other strategy work somewhere else? So I'd say generally speaking, strategy teams are quite lean mm-hmm. um, as a whole. Like how big is how big is your team? Like, like twenty people. Right now, it's like fifteen. Fifteen. Okay. Yeah. Pretty small. Yeah. Pretty small. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So we run we run quite lean, um, mm-hmm. and so um, the way I see it is that a lot of folks, if they, you know, really like the industry, 
uh, and really like the role they can stay for, you know, 15, 20, 25 years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you definitely see more of those type of folks in an internal strategy role, mm-hmm. uh, not just in wealth management, but just, in, you know, throughout, you know, other type, other industries as well. There are internal strategy folks. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of like the actual work, can you give me an example of like, cause strategy is kind of a very big overarching like, yeah. is there an example of like what kind of projects you're working on internally. Like, so you're dealing with pretty senior executives who want to like figure something out, I assume um, about yeah. the business. And so they'll task you with like a project of like, go figure this out. And then you're tasked with like getting all the data together, putting a presentation together. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. So okay. just to expound, expound on that. So, yeah, please. you know, like usually um, an executive would, would come to my manager and say, hey, you know, there's some problem with this business. Can you take a look at it? You know, you know, sometimes this could be as broad as that, you know, that kind of open ended question. Like problem or like they, revenues down year over year or something like the margins look low or the profitability, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. figure out what. Well, what's driving those problems. Right. Got it. Mm-hmm. And then we would, like you said, you know, we gather all the data, kind of look at it from, you know, multiple angles and really try to understand what's causing the problems. Right. It Are you be- gathering that data through like surveys through like, um, do you have enough data like internally typically, or are you often like on a wild goose chase? <laughs> and, <laughs> and are you, and are uh, you doing that? Are you, you know, where on your level, you're a little, you know, you've been promoted now, um, but are, in, at your level, are you doing some of that work or do you have people underneath you? So generally speaking, uh, at my firm, there's usually enough resources and like kind of infrastructure in place to like have enough data to analyze. Okay. There are like occasions where like, you know, like there, there's just not enough data because it's just maybe the program's too new or something, you know, like that. And so yeah. uh, that's when you have to do a little bit more primary research, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are far and far and few between usually it's mostly I already have the data and just have to slice it and dice it and bring transparency to those numbers. Are you using stuff like Tableau? I mean, are you using like data analytic tools? Are there, are there skills or programs or something that people could kind of get good at that would make you better at this job? I would say that Tableau is definitely a useful tool that uh, I need to better utilize. We I use think. it. <laughs> we <use it. laughs> definitely yeah i definitely think it's it's I, I have seen some some groups use it mm-hmm. and i think they're starting to adopt it but i think still uh we're we're still you know bread and butter is still excel excel okay now. cool okay doesn't surprise me that a large bank <laughs> uses <Yeah>. excel <laughs> yeah um, so slow to uh slow to slow to move technologies well that's fair i mean um so I guess, you know, you're in this seat. What's next for you? You think you're going to be here for a while? You think, um, is there certain exit opportunities that are, are typical for this type of role? I know you said like people can be here for a long time, but is it standard for that? Or do some people jump to management consulting from this role? Yeah, I mean, I have seen some folks who, you know, have jumped back into management consulting, mm-hmm. you know, to work with clients. Uh, but I've also seen folks who, you know, go into other roles, you know, altogether. They might want to do asset management. They might want to do mm. more of like investments, market, you know, related type roles. Okay. You know, because wealth management, you 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 kind of work with the asset managers to distribute 
their products more or less. And so you have to understand that business as well. And so it's, it's you not too hard to lateral to that, to that side of the industry. Fair. Okay. And so what's, uh, what's next with you? What are you, what are your thoughts in terms of, you think, you know, you've been there for a while now. Is it something that you, you obviously got promoted and you're doing well? Um, is it something where you see a good path there for several more years or? Yeah. So right now I'm kind of in an interesting kind of, um, like a mind, mindset of, of this role. So I I do see that there's room for growth and like there's definitely room for me to like learn more of like what senior managers do that I'm still not at that level is at so like for example like you know more of like executive presence or like you know kind of uh, structuring a, a project where like you anticipate what the manager what the executives want even before they even ask it you know like right. doing all that kind of much more high level managerial type of thinking you know mm-hmm. um but at the same time i am a bit cognizant that that um that a lot of you know what i do is really data driven and so eventually like you know things of like things like machine learning or or like ai like i feel you know at least from what i've read is like they're they're progressing you know quite fast and and they're able to like just analyze just vast troves of data that you know Excel definitely cannot do, and so I feel like you know I'm a bit handicapped uh, with with my current tools, and so I'm kind of torn between like should I continue, you know, just where I am and just like go up on the kind of ladder. hierarchy of a strategy to the yeah. ladder, or should I kind of equip myself more with the latest and greatest kind of cutting edge tools in data aggregation and mining and just and analytics like start being able to write queries and learning SQL and, and Python and yeah exactly that's well, kind of where why I'm not at. why can't you do both why can't you on the side do that it's just too much it's like the hours are too long I feel like uh, I may be able to do both but I'm not so sure right now I'm kind of at, at kind of the crossroads that's okay. where I'm at cool I'm, okay. I'm trying to feel it out as I go. Fair enough. Okay. So then looking back before we end the pod, anything else you'd kind of, any advice you'd give to your younger self or to the young listeners out there that are maybe still in college or the first few years out of school? <laughs> uh, when I look back and, you know, if I talk to my, you know, 20 year old self or 22 year old self, mm-hmm. I think I, I definitely had a lot of kind of anxiety and uncertainty about, you know, whether what I did was right. And, and whether, you know, what I, you know, being late to the game and, and whether it's like, oh, you know, should I just give up altogether or whatnot? But like, I think anything in life is, you know, I've read like biographies of, you know, very successful people who've, you know, later in life, they, they do totally different things, you know. And so it just tells me like, it's never too late to, to really pursue anything, you know, especially now that you know, the life expectancy just keeps getting higher and higher. Like we can just keep, you know, yeah, we're going to live to 100, things. we're going to live to 120, man. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, you never know. know. You never know. So, you know, I just feel like age, you know, back then when your life expectancy was just like 40 or 50. Yeah. It matters when you're like 30, Yeah. get, get your shit together. But like, you know, now that you're living so much longer, like, you can, you know, have opportunities to do totally different things that you 
never expected. Can reinvent so, yourself. Yeah. Several times so, in your career. You know, I shouldn't, I should, I would tell my 22 year old self just not to be so, um, I guess anxious about, you know, trying to optimize like, you know, uh, the right path. Cause there's just no, no right path. You, everybody's just trying to figure it out as they go along. I think that's great. I'm hopeful with this, this podcast, we don't give more anxiety. And I hope that what it's doing is actually opening people's eyes that there are a lot of different paths to success, not just the investment banking for two years to private equity. (laughs) (laughs) So um, um, That's the goal here. And, you know, I think if, if listening to this podcast is giving you stress or anxiety, you should stop (laughs) (laughs) and, and realize that, um, you know, where, as long as you work hard, as long as you're kind of enjoying what you're doing, um, there are many, many, many paths to success and, exactly. and the road is very long, like you said. Um, so um, not to stress out if you're not exactly where you want to be. I'm in this moment. So thanks for that. Um, Mentor 2020, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the pod. Thank you for listening to me. Great. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.